0: Greetings, everyone. I'm excited to welcome Brittany Harris, CEO and co-founder at Qualys Flow to the show today. Brittany, welcome.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Well, it's great to have you here. So let's dive in. Tell us a little bit about your background.
1: So I'm a civil engineer by background. uh, So not a SaaS person by trade, but very much fell in love with the industry. And after sort of working in it for a few years, decided that you know, could see this huge opportunity for change and was getting a little bit frustrated at the status quo. And fortunately met my co-founder back in 2016, and she was in a similar position working in construction, I think feeling some of the same frustrations. And so in 2018, we founded Qflow, very much born out of that sort of mutual, I think, love-hate relationship Mm -hmm. we have with our industry.
0: I love that. And tell us a little bit about that transition. And so is this first-time founder role then?
1: Yes. Yeah, very much so. I did not set out to start a company, to be quite honest. and never really thought that would be part of my life plan, but... Yeah.
0: So, oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah.
1: Well, I was going to say, just love solving problems. And I think that's part of the civil engineer that, you know, you, you love sort of unpicking things and understanding how stuff works and then trying to put it back together and again in a better way. And, you know, having been in the industry for a few years, was looking at how inefficient and unsustainable construction is. And really felt that, you know, tech was becoming more readily available, lower cost, that there was possibly something we could do there to help drive more efficient, more sustainable construction. And so it was very much, I think, born out of love and frustration, more than a a drive to want to start a company.
0: Yeah, love that. And tell us a little bit about that transition. So from being an employee, a civil engineer for a while, and then meeting a co-founder and talking about this. And so how did that transition work from Employment to launching the company?
1: Sure. It sort of dived headfirst into it, to be quite honest. We came across this competition run by the Royal Academy of Engineering, which we understood to be a sort of business pitching competition where you could sort of tell them your idea and they might say, yeah, that's great. Or they might say, no, that's a terrible idea. Um, and we just thought it'd be fun to apply. So at the t- end of 2017, we submitted this application and we kept getting through the various stages. We like, developed the idea further and further. And it was only when we got to the final that we realized that actually this was a startup competition and that the other two finalists were two, three years into the journey, had over a million of funding, had teams behind them. And it was just us two in Jade's bedroom in London sort of making it up as we go along. So it was sort of somewhat by accident. But what happened was that the Royal Academy said, no, I think there's something in this. And we were approached by an accelerator called Entrepreneur First. And what that did was it gave us a stipend for three months. So we were able to quit our jobs and still pay rent and eat baked beans for a while and and actually go out and, you know, really stress test the idea further and speak to the industry more. And so ultimately we dived headfirst in at the beginning of 2018 and haven't really looked back since actually.
0: I love that. Yeah, diving right in. So yeah, that's, I love that transition. So yeah, let's talk a little bit about Qualysflow. Tell us what products and services Qualysflow offers.
1: Sure. So the boring answer is that we're a B2B software platform that services the engineering and construction industry. But the real answer is that we're using real-time data capture and analytics to help transform the world's most pollutive and, you know, carbon intensive industry to one that is more circular and more sustainable. So what Qflow does is it automates the tracking of materials coming onto site and waste going off during construction. And it helps general contractors basically save time and money. So it helps them understand, uh, you know, what they're being charged from their supply chain. It helps them manage quality of those materials and compliance around waste. And to basically do a lot of the really boring paperwork a lot more effectively. But on top of that, because we've got this really rich data set of everything that went in and everything that went out, we're building this basically a digital picture of the physical asset that is incredibly valuable to developers and asset owners as well. So for them, they have this digital picture of what went in, which means they can manage safety, like fire safety, and they can understand and quantify their embodied carbon, but they can also quantify the future value of those materials that are in their asset. So as we move towards a more circular economy and away from a sort of linear take, make, throw away disposal process, they actually have this absolute gold mine of materials that they're sitting on for when we start looking at urban mining. And QFlow is that sort of foundational data that's unlocking that really important part of the circular economy.
0: Yeah, and that that's fascinating. And where, where the construction industry, where does it sit as far as product ado- or technology adoption? And then now even further, like with thinking about waste and carbon footprint, uh, as far as adopting those practices and software into their industry.
1: Yeah. So when we started in 2018, the sort of like, revolution was very start, so just starting with construction, there had been a lot of apps that had been introduced that hadn't really gone down very well. And so the industry was having a bit of backlash. It was a bit tech phobic and sustainability really was a bit of a tick box. Uh, it, it was done by the sort of Very bleeding edge, like absolute pioneers, but the rest were, you know, either not doing it at all or just doing it to look good. Now, sort of five years on, it's completely transformed. So I know the global pandemic did awful things for so many people, but it did some really good things for industries as well. And one of them was that it made construction a lot more tech friendly. It suddenly had to adopt digital systems overnight. And so actually it's much more progressed on that tech journey than it was before. I think McKinsey had it in about 2018 as the second least digitized industry in the world above only agriculture and hunting. So rocks and guns. (laughs) I don't think we were doing very well back then. I hope we've moved up in that ranking. And sustainability is 180. So, you know, everyone is talking about the climate crisis. Everyone's talking about decarbonization. And as one of the most carbon intensive industries in the world, construction is definitely under the microscope on that. And so all the major contractors and developers in the UK and Europe are coming out and saying, we've got this route map to being net zero before 2050. This is how we're going to do it. And that's not just our scope one and two carbon, our direct emissions, that's scope three as well. So that's their entire supply chain. And off the back of Biden's um, IRA legislation that came out recently, the Inflation Reduction Act, we're now seeing that shift in the US as well, which is incredibly exciting. And so that whole shift to more sustainable, more responsible construction is, is well underway.
0: I love that and I love the mission because I know when I drive by construction sites, you see all the materials, discarded materials, and you just wonder if that just all ending up in the landfill and just no thought about it. So love that you're looking to, to tackle that, that issue.
1: Yeah, it's insane. So 40% of landfill comes from construction. And we consume about 40% of the world's raw resources as well. So we are a huge part of the problem as an industry, but that also means we're a huge part of the solution as well.
0: Love that. So you said, founded the company in 2018, pitched the idea, went into that pitch competition in 2017. And do you have a, a headquarters location?
1: Yeah, so we're located in the UK and our headquarters is in London. Uh, But as a team, we work remotely all across the UK. So we come together regularly, but we're spread out. It's great.
0: Okay, yeah, so London, but remote. And then what's your current team size?
1: So we're 32, 33 was literally just on board someone. So 33 at the moment, and we're we're hiring a lot. So we, we aim to be at 60 by March next year. So big growth going at the moment.
0: Oh, I love that. So 33 staff, hopefully going up to 60 by March of next year. And anything yeah. you want to share around your revenue or ARR range right now?
1: Yeah, so one of the big things, so we've just raised Series A investment. And one of the big sort of milestones we wanted to hit uh, before doing that was hitting that 1 million ARR mark. So we're now in that bracket of the 1 to 5 million mark and and sort of powering ahead on on continued growth of that new capital.
0: I love that. So just hit or powering through the 1 million ARR mark. And then tell us, you know, so finding prospects, clients in the construction industry, tell us a little bit about your go-to-market motion, because I know I've heard they're like really large, large global construction companies. So tell us, is there just a, a limited set or yeah, t- just tell us a little bit how you're finding your prospects.
1: It's a really interesting market and it is a challenging one. So there are a sort of a large handful of the really big general contractors and underneath those you've got this huge range of tier two contractors who are sort of still doing some incredibly big projects but you wouldn't consider them the sort of big GCs so in the UK it would be people like Skanska, good Balfour Beatty in the US it would be people like Clark Construction, Suffolk these are you know the big international players now that does mean that you've got these sort of pioneer logos that you want to get on your books early. And that's something that we did really well in the first couple of years as we got some really big names sort of using Qflow, which really helped. But then also you've got this huge database or huge sort of pool of potential clients in the tier twos and the SMEs as well. And so part of what we're looking at is how do we make Qflow more accessible to those tiers further down the industry? Because if we're going to transform construction, it can't just be with the big boys at the top. It needs to be with the entire space.
0: Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And so who, who do you reach out with in a construction firm? Do they have a, a CTO or somebody managing their tech or, or operations officer? Who is that that you try to find?
1: They don't typically have a CTO. We're seeing a lot of CIOs appear, so chief information officers. But that sort of tech leadership within companies still is quite new to construction. Typically with us we will either engage from the tech side with their innovation lead or their digital officer. And a lot, of more, a lot more companies are having someone who's dedicated to innovation and tech. And they're normally great champions to introduce you to other parts of the business, but that's their primary role is introduce you to the right people internally. Then for us specifically with Qflow, we'll work with sort of three core parts of the business. It will be the project directors and project managers who are actually driving the construction. They're the ones who will get the benefit from the cost savings and the reduced risk and the compliance piece. Or we'll speak to the sustainability teams. So these might be central, they might be project-based, but for them it's all about having the right data to be able to report on. Carbon is one core piece, so embodied carbon, but also if they're going for sustainability certifications like LEED or BRIAM or WELL, then they need that data for that as well. And then the final piece that we're seeing a lot more interest in at the moment is the supply chain side. So the supply chain management, procurement, that sort of commercial angle within companies, because having good data around who you're working with across your supply chain and how they're performing for you in terms of compliance, in terms of consistency of delivering the right materials and not generating too much waste. It, they, they just don't have that information at the moment. So when you put that in front of a quantity surveyor or someone who's looking at that procurement piece, they're like, oh my God, why are we working with these guys? Like They're no good, but these guys are clearly amazing. Let's give them more work. And so it's sort of opened up some really interesting data-driven conversations that yeah, it's it's a new it's a new opportunity for a lot of a lot of companies.
0: That's great. And so you mentioned previously raised a Series A. It looks like a, a 7.2 million Euro Series A. And did you have a seed round before that?
1: Yes. Yeah. So it's 7.2 million sterling. So I'm not so, sure what it is. Oh, I'm Euro. sorry.
0: Uh, yeah, pounds. Yeah, yeah. For- yeah,
1: I know. Still, still sadly not part of the Euro, even further away now. Um, so in total, we've raised um, 12.5 million dollars. So to put it back in USD. And
0: USD. Okay. So about 12.5 million USD raised, yeah. 7.2 million pounds, Series A, surpassing so series that. A
1: and um, so we've done a seed round as well, T-seed.
0: Yep. And then the seed. And then tell us a little bit about that journey. What, maybe with the Series A, what triggers or milestones led to that Series A raise?
1: Yeah. So the first big one we wanted to hit before we even went out to the market was that 1 million ARR target. It seems to be sort of a a key sort of trigger point for a lot of venture capitalists to say, you know, are you at that point of growth? Have you got enough customers? And the other thing was sort of really proving that we had that product market fit. And that was partly through the fact that we had a really good broad customer base across multiple construction segments. So we didn't just service infrastructure or commercial. We also service residential, fit-out, utilities, all kinds. Uh, The other side to that is also having some of those clients move to an enterprise contract. So not just using us on one or two sites, using us across their entire portfolio. And that's really a big focus for us at the moment. So we've got a lot of clients moving onto that enterprise contract at the moment. And I guess the other thing that we were keen to show, it wasn't a requirement for our Series A, but it was something that we you know, personally had set an aspiration for, was to start proving that there would be international application for this as well. So, we've now got live sites in Australia and the US, and a, a portion of the funding that we've just raised will go to that international expor- exploration into the US market as well.
0: Okay, love that. So, the billionaire mark, prove out that, that product market fits, enterprise contracts, and then the international diversity. And then, anything you want to share with founders listening right now? Any lessons learned that you learned in the Seed and Series A round?
1: So, the thing that we did really well this time that we didn't do so well at seed and it certainly alleviated a lot of the stress and pressure was we just prepped a lot we had a sort of impeccable data room and it was one of the big pieces of feedback that we had from pretty much every investor was it's one of the best data rooms they'd seen and we'd sort of we'd really straddled that line of enough information that they can find what they need but not so much that they're sort of drowning in it and don't know where to look Um, So that was something that was really worth spending a good month and a half prepping before we opened the round. And then the other thing we did, which I really did not believe would work until we did it, was we set really hard timelines. So I emailed people in December saying, we're opening the round in January. I will not talk to you before then, but we are opening the round in January. The data room will be open on the 16th of January. You won't have access before then. That's the date. And we will be closing the round in April. You will work to that timeline or we won't bother talking to you. And I thought this was going to go horribly wrong. And I really did not believe it was going to work, but it did. And actually, we managed to close around in four months in an investment market. that everyone was telling us it was going to go horribly and you were going to be undersubscribed and you get horrible valuations. And we were oversubscribed. We had a great valuation. I was just like, what did that work? And really managing that timeline to the T just made a huge difference.
0: I love that. love that advice. So a lot of prep, impeccable data room, enough information, but not too much. And then that that's setting the deadlines. So yeah. Yeah. Great, great advice. And as you manage your company, as you're scaling now, have the series A funds, putting those to work. Do you have a favorite number or metric that you're focused on to manage your business?
1: So we, we use OKRs, objectives and key results. And so we try and set that sort of North Star of like, right, what is the main thing we're focused on right now? And the key thing for us is that scaling in the UK, Um, and it's really making sure that we've built the right system that really supports that scale. So low barrier to entry, easy to adopt, like real ease of adoption is so important for construction, but also really, really adding value. So it's not just, oh, we try it because it's interesting and then we get bored. It's, oh, we try it and then we're like, wow, we need this everywhere. And so really accelerating that um, enterprise conversation. So that's our sort of North Star for the UK. And that's broken down into objectives and key results across the business. So there will be specific revenue targets for commercial. There'll be key product targets for engineering and product. And it sort of breaks out that way. And that's been, re- that's been really helpful to try and keep people aligned and give a lot of autonomy to the team as well.
0: And in, in selling into construction companies, are you selling, is this higher ACV contracts and multi-year contracts that you try to sell into, into, the, into the industry?
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Okay, okay. And so really appreciate the time today. So what's next? What's coming up for Qflow?
1: So the next big thing, I mean, as I said, the big focus is on UK scale. And so mm-hmm. up to the end of the year, that's really what we're doing. We're hiring a lot. We're building a lot of capacity and resilience within the team because we've been running for very lean up to series A. So it's nice to sort of take some of the pressure off people. And then sort of next year, the big focus is going to be starting that U.S. exploration. So I'm spending a lot more time out on the East Coast and hopefully making it over to the West Coast as well, sort of maybe Q2 next year.
0: Okay, that's great. Yeah, that's exciting. So Brittany, really appreciate your time today and sharing your story. If listeners would like to learn more about Qualys where should we send them online?
1: So you can find us at qualysflow.com or you can find me on LinkedIn. I'm Brittany Harris. There's not a lot of us about. And obviously... Yeah, reach out on the website. We'd love to hear from you.
0: All right, really appreciate that. So if you'd like to learn more about Brittany and Qflow, check out qualisflow.com to learn more. And Brittany, really appreciate you sharing your story and your insights today.
1: Great, thanks so much, Beth.